What's up, everybody? This is Matt. This is Nathan. And we are podcasting from the road. If you guys recall, oh, last year we did the same thing. What were we doing that? Oh, we were going to get Bruce's BMW. Yep, we're actually taking pretty much the same path that we were then, so... Yep. Today we are, yep, going down the same path, but we're just going to a different city in the Dayton area. So I'm riding with Nathan to Dayton to just turn around and do it again to go home later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but today we are, uh, we're actually taking home a project. Tim and I both just uh, tackled over the weekend here, and uh, we have a, I believe you said it was a 91. Yep. The most expensive car we've ever worked on, guys, so brace yourselves. It's a 91 Geo Metro. Yep. And uh, Nathan cut all the rust spots out of it on the bottom, including an entire portion of a frame rail. And we painstakingly uh, recrafted all of it, and uh, then we rubberized, undercoated it. And I gotta say, it looks pretty amazing. Yeah, it does. It's, uh, it's one of those things where I guess they're known for rusting out on a little dog leg portion of the. Uh, I guess it's not necessarily the frame rail but it is but there's like a section that goes around the steering um like the actual end link for the uh um how do i want to put it just the steering rack itself but it, it's kind of weird because it goes through a portion of the frame so that kind of had a little rust spot i rebuilt that um the driver's side uh where the rocker meets the wheel well on the front it uh, needed some replacing. Uh, cut all that out and patched it in with new metal. Um, then seam sealed it and undercoated it after everything was all welded up and ground down. And then uh, pretty much was it. It really wasn't a whole lot. We undercoated all the wheel wells, undercoated the entire car just to kind of preserve it and keep it from rusting any worse. Not that it was very rusty at all, but it had a few spots, I guess, where it's typical for them. What it is, I mean, it's a really, really solid car. Yeah, you and from just looking at the paint, I mean, it's a really, really nice car. The original paint on it's still good, even. I do want to quickly apologize to everybody before we keep uh, going on. Uh, we uh, had to load this car, which almost caused our death on three <laughs> occasions. Um, so yeah, we were kind of in a hurry, and uh, I didn't grab our uh, our sure microphone we, that we've been podcasting on. As everybody's can probably tell, the quality of our audio has gotten pretty pretty darn good. But today we're just rocking the uh, iPhone life. So I wanted to go ahead and you know preface real quick and just say, you know, we apologize. Uh, we didn't have a really the time to grab it and tune it for the road, and we've never tuned it to drown out road noise. So. Uh, I'm trying to speak up too that way exactly. any road noise or background noise you know and I'm kind of far away too yeah it'll be alright everybody's been pretty patient so we appreciate that yep. we're just happy to be podcasting exactly that's what it's all about today was a great opportunity man uh, like last weekend we was just so we were so busy because uh, as you guys know uh, we talked about doing the car lot thing that was two weekends ago, actually, because you didn't get to make it up. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get to come up. My daughter got brought to me, and Nathan was gone on his anniversary weekend. Yep. So happy anniversary to them! Ten years. Ten years, and 
Nobody's killed each other yet, so that's a positive. I'm still here. <laughs> but yeah, a couple weekends ago, we kind of hinted at the car a lot. Uh, Nathan went and did all his dealer classes, the paperwork, and then those two weekends ago, uh, Nathan, myself, and his dad, we all busted ass. And then essentially one day, well, weekend, fully framed a 14-foot addition to the office. Uh, built all four walls, we insulated it, got the trusses for the roof, and then you guys finished it after I left, and yep. it looks really amazing. Yeah, I did have quite a bit of help, but yeah, we managed to uh, pull it off in about a week, a little over a week. It, you know, I had help, you guys helping me frame it, but I was working on it throughout the week by myself. Oh, yeah. You know, I hung the drywall on the ceiling, which was a pain without having the actual drywall jack. I literally rigged it and made it to where the uh, drywall would actually kind of hang on one side, and it was interesting to say the least, but... I know, I wish I could have been there to help, you know, me and my crazy work schedule. Yep, even the the state inspector, um, when she came back out to re-inspect it after... Because the first time the the office wasn't big enough, it was only like 80 square feet roughly, and it needed to be like 100 square feet bigger. Yeah, it needed to be 180 minimum. Yeah, 180 minimum. State of Ohio required, anyways. But she's like, "Wow, you guys really work fast." I was like, "Yeah, it's you know we're trying to you know have this livelihood and be able to really have talked about buying these cars at auction." cleaning them up, documenting that, and doing reviews of these cars, and just having content, you know, to talk about here, to do on YouTube, to post, you know, write articles on the website, so it's going slow, but we are slowly still working at it, so. I mean, you guys heard it here first, they passed inspection our first try once we redid the building, because, you know, we didn't recognize that we didn't have enough space, but first try passed inspection and we came in at 280 square feet so we surpassed the state minimum by 28 square feet we actually took the time and insulated it yeah right at it was like 207 i you had the right square foot you said it wrong oh is that what i said 280 oh i meant to say 208 me and my dyslexic ass something like that but yeah we're I did the calculation in the office, and I was on the, I said 208.2 when I calculated it, so I was right on the money. And I got a, you know, it kind of, I like the feel of it, the way that it is, you know, it's kind of, we wanted to have that upscale kind of feel to it, Um, you know, like a car, car guy atmosphere and just an enthusiast atmosphere, so we still do need to finish it and do the trim work and actually mud it and everything like that, but the actual layout of it and the recessed lighting and everything i, I think it really has a nice it nice does. vibe to it already so it's beautiful i mean it considering we started with just four walls with studs and we built it you know for i guess any of the building geeks it was our first time yeah so we build it like you would a house 16 inches off center uh, two by four studs for the walls and then we did the two by sixes for the top reinforcement and then the roof was also uh two by sixes right we i believe yeah. we did two by yeah. six for the trusses yeah and uh five eighths inch on the drywall we did some uh you know 
just some good old fiberglass insulation in the wall so we very much over engineered it i mean i put my body weight on the top roof uh the actual roof you know panel and uh it wouldn't budge in at all so yep it turned out nice it Actually, did mounted a, a window ac into the wall so that was kind of nice it looked good be able to have cooling in there as well they'd already had a heater in there but so we now have our bases covered for heat and cooling at least so we plan to do like a nice wall mounted tv in there um yeah. with like a kind of a lounge feel exactly almost. instead of a you know an office granted we'll have our our desks but make it like a, a lounge area to feel more comfortable not just there to you know throw car sales in your face i think it'd be nice to do about a 42 inch just like a tcl kind of uh -huh. like that 60 i bought you know they're, they're about 250 300 bucks but like maybe just a you know 80 dollar physio sound bar under it just to really make it pop and not only that it'll make it feel upscale and then put a just a nice lounge couch in there and we talked about decorating the office with like some uh, car guy inspired yeah, things like that we already have like a vintage-esque golf oil sign to go in there and we've like you said talked about doing the track sculptures and just kind of sprucing it up that way when a customer comes in like you said we're not just there to to just try to get you into a car you know shit we're there to talk cars too if you want to come sit down and talk cars and discuss what we do have and i mean we're down to do it it's what we do so We want it to feel inviting, and sales is all about not pressuring somebody. That's a world I was in for a real long yeah. time. Uh, same with you. I mean, you've done your share of it. Yeah. Like you and I said, they're not there to buy a car. They're there to be sold on you. Yeah. So just by making the customer comfortable, giving that first impression, that's going to probably do 70% of the work, and the cars will do the rest. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where we've always bought and sold cars, you know, on our own accord. Obviously, there's limitations when you don't own a dealer license, so you're limited how many cars you're allowed to sell in a given 12-month period. So, it makes it nice for us to be able to buy and sell the, you know, buy cars that we may have interest in or want to experience but may not want to keep long term so it gives us a chance to get that get our info that we're looking for that was a z06 uh like a road course car on the back of that trailer hell yeah um, i'm all about that <laughs> but anyways yeah just maybe cars that we might not buy ourselves just to um keep but something that we want to write an article on, something that we want to experience for a few months and then just send it on to the next owner to enjoy. Or buy cars that we know how to work on and even though we've experienced, you know, working on BMWs and DSMs and, you know, yada yada, then we can take that. We know cars that have certain issues and if they have them at these dealer auctions or even buying them from a private party you can buy these cars resurrect them do the things that they need to be brought back to life and then you know put them back in the market for somebody else to enjoy that maybe i guess quote unquote isn't you know 
they don't want to work on their vehicles or don't maybe have the knowledge or know-how or don't have the tools they may, be, they may have the skill set, but they just may not have the garage or the time to even want to do it. So it'll be a way for us to buy these cars, enjoy them, bring them back to life, and send them on to somebody else who can enjoy them. So. I mean, that's to me, that's what it's all about, offering cars that people want. And like you said, maybe they're scared to work on them, so when they buy them off of us down the road, they may want us to, you know, do some maintenance stuff to them, so it kind of comes full circle. One of the things I hadn't even discussed with Nathan yet that I think is a great idea is, right now, obviously, powershiftmedia.net's the website. Um, We plan to add a tab on our website, dealer, but something I intended on doing and taking the initiative is getting our name's domain. And since I've gotten really good with website building, having it redirect once somebody punches that in directly to that dealer's tab so they can just bypass everything. But if they click the dealer tab, it's gonna take them to the page, but the link is actually going to be that of the name of the dealer. So it's all about, for any of the website geeks, it's just a redirecting domain. So I thought about doing that. That way somebody can punch it in, bam, goes right to that. And then, or if they go to our website and they say, ooh, dealer stab, it's just gonna take them there anyway. So it gives more facets to do it. Once uh, I do buy the domain, I'll go ahead and drop it on here just because I want nobody else to buy it. (laughs) But, um, so I guess, you know, we'll just kind of drop it. Uh, We're Renegade Motor Group. Uh, based out of New Washington, Ohio. So for anybody who wants a car, somebody who might be looking for some specific, if there is something that our listeners are looking for who's semi-local or don't mind to travel. Um, or we will deliver to Exactly. That's what I was going to say. We're in a big-ass F-250 right now. And um, we soon to have two trucks and two trailers. So Exactly. I mean, it, if it grows enough, I do plan to... I've already discussed and thought about it. Um, I would probably trade this truck in and get a diesel, maybe not anything new, but a diesel with maybe like a big wedge trailer to be able to haul, you know, multiple cars at one time, so. The idea would be, you know, like you and I discussed, you know, for example, somebody in Allentown, Pennsylvania buys a car, we take that car out to that customer and we try to align something we want in in a hundred mile radius and have a backhaul to bring it back. And, you know, something Nate and I have been discussing, obviously I'm a full-time trucker right now, but if this snowballs and grows to the point that we wanted to, um, I would absolutely entertain the idea of, you know, being with Nathan full-time doing this and you know, if a car needed hauled, uh, I'd be more than happy to do it. I'm still medical oh, yeah. carded, CDL'd. Yeah. I'm an active just driver. Literally, the middle to end of last month, I actually went and renewed my two-year medical card as well. So and that looks good on us. So if the state ever asked us, you know, because at that point, if you were hauling two to three cars, you have to have a 25k plate. Right. So, you know, God forbid you get pulled over. Uh, you and I are both CDL. Make sure we have our logbook. Exactly. That's a world you and I have lived. Yeah. I still live it every day. And uh, so there's two people here that could legally haul with a roll, you know, with a uh, with a three or five car, uh, you know, fifth wheel. And yeah, it'd be nice. So to it, 
to get a uh, almost like a to, little trucking division. Yeah, you could even go to the while at the auction, you could buy a truck that's a dually diesel just for hauling vehicles around, use it for a while. You know, yeah, put one of those utility beds on the yeah. back that has the fifth wheel plate already there. You and I know how to drop and hook trailers. Yep. You know, you and I lived that life together for a long time. I'll be doing it again tomorrow. <laughs> but one day I would like for that to be my full time with you, you know, hauling cars, fixing these, selling them. So, again, you know, I'll repeat if there's something you guys are looking for or, uh, you know, you want to see our inventory, we will have a website page for it. Um, don't be afraid to come out and see us. Uh, we'll have our actual physical address on the website. Mm-hmm. But yep, and it'll be me there for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, starting out. But um, after that, that point, you know, we hopefully will both be there. So That is the plan. I mean, if this works out the way that we think it will and we hope it will, then uh, we'll both be there and, you know... Even if you guys just want to drop in and, you know, uh, just talk some cars and meet us face-to-face, we're more than happy to do that. Chances are uh, we'll end up talking about something you want. We've probably owned it. We could obtain it for you. But, you know, whatever we can do to help the community, and obviously for us, you know, to help our business grow. Uh, So for anybody who wants to kind of give us a hand, you know, drop the Uh, word, tell your friends. (laughs) One thing, uh, if anybody has any input um we are i guess the business model that i'm that i have thought up in my mind and i've discussed it with matt is buying for the most part buying enthusiast type vehicles you know not necessarily specialty vehicles that are super rare or super hard to come by or very you know super expensive but just special variations of normal vehicles or you know manual transmission versions of a vehicle that you don't normally see that can be considered you know um, enthusiast oriented or um, anything along those lines even trucks like sport trucks sport cars I mean anything Taurus SHO yeah. stuff like that you know special version of a car uh, Dakota RT right anything that has that's a normal vehicle but a special variation of that so i guess my uh my question to you guys is what vehicles would you like to see you know at a quote-unquote enthusiast dealership that are somewhat attainable price range uh maybe entry-level sport you know enthusiast vehicles um not anything or even what's your input on price range um just to get an idea i everybody's you know price ranges are different what they consider entry level what they consider you know mid-class and you know higher end um i guess uh questions are what type of vehicles and what price ranges would be attractive to buyers that want to come to a, in a quote-unquote enthusiast, um, you know, car lot, per se, or, you know, dealership? That's a good question, actually. I almost pose as a fun game. We should partake, and if right. you guys want to play at home, do it. Um, 
first three starter cars, ideally under seven grand. What's your number one pick? Where, where do you start? We'll each do three right now. So under seven grand per pick, enthusiast vehicle that we know will appeal to enthusiasts that we could sell quickly. Let's go. Right off the top of our head. First one that comes to my mind is probably like an older Subaru WRX. Bam, that's a very good pick. Um, maybe even one a Sportback, you know, like a... The Saab version? Yeah, like a even a Saabaru, um, That Any kind of Sportback WRX. It could be a sedan too, but the Sportback to me kind of draws a little bit more attention. It seems like wagons keep any kind of, you know value a little bit more for some reason but so that's um, pick number one that would be pick number one pick number two would probably be uh like an n54 or 335 it, oh, it could yeah. be like it could be an e90 e92 it you know might need a little work yeah exactly because we could, blasting yada yada you can pick those up fairly decent you know that are maybe need a little bit of work but have a little bit of money into it and be able to sell for 775 pass on a good deal to somebody if it has you know especially with like we were talking with if offering a warranty or offering some kind of um any work we do say yeah, guaranteeing the work that we do um and that's unheard of by the way then i'm trying to think of something enthusiast oriented maybe for your number three I was thinking maybe some kind of sport truck of some kind, like an older, like an SST Ram, um, or maybe an older Lightning, something like that. I'm just trying to variate, you know, enthusiast versions of normal vehicles. So here's where I'm going, and I think you'll like my three, because the number one's going to appeal to Nathan right away. Not only that, I think it'll appeal to a lot of people, and I'll explain why. Number one's a 350Z manual yep. trans um, because they can be had for for a good one about five to six grand. Yep. But at an auction, maybe it needs a clutch, maybe it needs something along those lines. Maybe you get it for thirty-seven hundred bucks. They're big in drift community. They're big in the uh, the street racing community. They can be built to take a lot of power. Um, they appeal to a lot of people, especially younger people trying to get into drifting. That's the big thing. So a 350Z, I think, is a good way to invest some money. Uh, maybe have 3700 in it. Uh, cut and buff the paint. As you guys know, Nate, Nate and I are... Nate's a really big body guy. I'm very good at interior detailing. So put us together, we can make a really pretty car. $59.95 on it. And, you know, make a couple grand. That's my number one. My number two, instead of a truck, I'm going with an SUV. And this might shock a lot of people, but um, you can buy non-turbo V8 Cayennes that maybe need airbags for right about 38 to 4200 bucks. And a Cayenne makes a lot of sense because you can buy the R-Not brand airbags for about 500 bucks. Um, you can tow with them. They handle extremely well. I've driven multiples of them. They run great. They look good. And for anybody that walks in with six grand burning a hole in their pocket and they see a Porsche sitting there, immediately they're going to be drawn to that and it's going to offer an upscale feel to the lot. And I, I've actually heard that the first gen, um, the 
Cayennes were actually very, very reliable. Good. They were very good off-road. They all they, they, they for sure are. They're extremely capable. Um, the biggest thing on Cayennes is if you buy a, a prior to an 06, they had plastic uh, coin pipes on the back, and they do bust. And that's why a lot of times you can get them cheap. Uh, ECS Tuning actually sells the metal uh, the metal ones for about 300 bucks. It's not that bad to do it. Um, so maybe you find one that had a burst cooling pipe. It's just blowing cooling out. You never know how cheap you can get it. Right. And you and I can do it. Um, so the Cayenne, I think, is an extremely an strong sleeper pick. And that is one I do intend to find, seek out, and put on the lot. My number three to me... I think it's an extremely strong pick. It's a power pick, I'll actually say, because the answer is always Miata. Yes. So, Miata's, Miata's, Miata. Yeah, the answer is always Miata. Um, NA or NB, very yeah. big in the enthusiast world. Because you could be well under seven grand, actually. Yes. And the mileage doesn't matter on a Miata. Uh, they're very reliable, but maybe you find one that has a little bit of rust. They are known for that. I've done rust repair. We just did the rust repair, so find one that maybe needs some, you know, quarter panel lip fix. Yeah. Maybe needs a clutch Rocker. or a diff. Um, see the tail panels between the tail lights; those kind of fade out. The trunks fade out. I've had quite a quite a bit of experience working on Miatas, actually. So body work wise, my big thing is just find one that has a good top. The rust isn't too bad. Maybe get it for twenty five hundred maybe have 2800 by the time the body's straight cut buff it quick interior detail it's a two-seater it's easy um throw a you know 700 set of bc coilovers on it have 3500 in it those cars can routinely pull seven to eight grand all day to me that's that's a power pick because the miata appeals to everybody i don't know anybody too. you don't have to search them out extremely hard and nobody bashes on them either. Like, right. everybody universally loves the Miata. So, if, in my opinion, if we had the WRX, as you stated, maybe uh, an older Lightning or a Dakota RT, like yeah. you said, and, um, you know, we have those sitting out there, along with the Cayenne, the Miata, 350Z. the 350Z. Those are still very good picks, and we have... cars that can be practical somebody maybe who's looking for a practical daily but yet looking for something on the sportier edge of that would you know be like a Subaru or you know the Cayenne because it's going to be a sportier SUV exactly there's something for everybody there rear wheel drive drift car you got it uh, all wheel drive car that's four season capable there's two of them there and um, keeping a continuing it's just perfect a continuing revolving inventory like that similar to that you know that's what I picture a, a successful um, enthusiast car lot or car lot to me kind of sounds cheap I know it, I would say like a dealership say or we are enthusiast we're purveyors of enthusiast vehicles right. I almost say that's kind of our slogan right there you know maybe on the website not a car lot purveyor of enthusiast vehicles right. because that's what we are we're the purveyor of enthusiast cars 
we have very enthusiast taste. I mean, we just ripped three each off the top of our head. Nate's number two pick, I think, is a hell of a strong one, the E90 with the N54. Because anybody in any budget can buy that car. If we've all not blasted those valves and, you know, everything's good to go. You can and even do uh, 15 performance, you know, axle back on it just to liven it up a little bit make it you know sound a little better or even right. a cat back we could advertise for 1500 bucks you get a cat back and a jb form we'll warranty it for 30 days and right. that car is making 400 a wheel with just those two mods yep. and to me i mean it makes a lot of sense you're not just going to any normal car lot and buying a you're not going to find an old foreign paddle on our lot. Yeah, I mean, not that we'll shy away from having, you know, how do I want to put it, like a quote-unquote average vehicles, because there's, you know, there's a market to fill in that point, too, but... I'd have a Corolla S on the lot all day. Yeah, exactly. But you take the better version, you know, if you Right. A Corolla is a great car that people will buy, and the Corolla S is going to be an Impala. Take. It would be like the, the SS. SS. Yes, that's what I mean by that. You're not just going to find a 3.4 liter Impala chilling at our lot. You know, it's going to be the SS, or you know, if you come out there and there's a Corolla, it's going to be an S. Or if we're really lucky, it's going to be the XRS. At which point, I'm going to become attached <laughs> and lose my own money. But <laughs> to me that like just that starter inventory between the two of us that's about 25 grand in cars 30 grand tops yep. but that could net us a profit of easily 45 to 55 and not only that there's something for everybody because if you show up and you're like i really need something practical i have kids but i don't want a rav4 well we have a cayenne right or you show up you know i need a four-door car but i want something fun you have a WRX or that uh, 335, or you know, I want something that can be a drift missile. You got the 350Z or even the Miata, or you might show up and say, like I, we might have Mustang, like me know. with the RX-7. You know, I want something I can drive, but I can go do track days. What in the world is better than a Miata? We we will have it. I fully intend to have a Miata on our lot. So to me there's something for everybody if they show up and yes mustangs make a shit ton of sense anything that's enthusiast oriented it doesn't have to be import it doesn't have to no. be you know strictly german it doesn't have to be it's i'd have a z28 camaro lt wants exactly. it now they're happily it's, it's anything along those lines that can be sold as an enthusiast vehicle somebody when we reach the point where people will come to us for enthusiast vehicles they may not know what they want we'll be able to have you know a decent inventory allowing somebody to maybe experience different enthusiast vehicles in one spot versus having to shop around and then maybe not even buy anything because they're just tired of not knowing what they want exactly they can show up and kind of sit in everything and kind of figure out what fits i mean a funny thought I had the other day, and you'll laugh. A car I've always wanted to own, but I never have. And actually, I've only ever driven one, and it was an automatic, and I still actually love the car. Um, and I wouldn't shy away from having the automatic version, because the manuals of these are a little weird, but I, I'd have the manual, too. 
Um, a C4 Corvette. I would yeah. love to have a C4 Vet on the lot because in between it selling, I could drive it. Yep. Um, I've never owned one. I've talked about it since you and I started on the truck. I wanted to buy one to LS swap, but the manuals and those are weird. Are you familiar with those? Mm-mm. They're actually a four-speed with an electronic overdrive fifth. Huh. So they're kind of, they have almost like a range splitter to go into fifth. Hmm. But I'd have the auto or the manual. I think a C4 would look really good sitting out there. A nice one, you know, not a shit box one, but one that's about a right. seven a seven and up. Uh, C4s have a good market right now because of Radwood. Yep. So a C4 with those kind of cars out there, you know, that's going to appeal to somebody like my dad. My dad would own that C4 in a minute. So I, I kind of like the idea of a of a C4 to go along with those other cars. That's just some of what I'm thinking. Yep. You know, yeah. you got your V8 kind of muscle car. You got your imports. You have your sport trucks. You know, a Dakar T next to a Cayenne would be a sick selection. Mm-hmm. And have your nice, you know, sport compacts or any of your Euro compact cars, the Golf GTIs, you know, anything that's... I mean, GTIs are kind of a given, you know. Everybody respects the GTI. Um, Another car I think would be great, and it still is an enthusiast car, but it's probably one of the most practical of all of them is like a uh, TDI Jetta or like a Mm -hmm. TDI Beetle. Right. Uh, 50 mile to the gallon, a huge enthusiast following. 180 Beetle for being one of the first for the car lot, you know, trying to source out because we're extremely familiar with 180 stuff in general. Oh, yeah. If our first auction we went to, there was one AT Beetle selling for the correct money. Um, yeah, I'd pick it up on you know on my end, and uh, you better believe there'd be a one AT Beetle sitting out there, and I'd probably put like an ECS Racing seventy five valve. I would do a, a good intake on it just because we know how great they sound, and uh, probably just like the uh, Anza Silverline, a two hundred and eighty dollar cat back. Bam, there's a. That, I mean, that's a quick car right there, honestly. That's a very good running car. And uh, it'd be a great starter car for your enthusiast kid. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a 16 or 17-year-old at home. You don't want them to have something as raunchy as a 16G DSM. But you want them to have something to get familiar. Well, that that's the car. And that would be a, a nice, fun, affordable car. Or even just a work car for some of you listening, but you don't want a mundane work car. Um, it just fills that void. I really like the idea of what we have here. Again, you know, those picks we gave, super strong. And that's stuff we can realistically obtain pretty quick. Yep, that's... 350Z would be one I would love to jump into as quick as I could, honestly, just because I know how fast they fly off the shelves. Mm-hmm. Not everybody quite loves them, but I'd say more people want them than don't. And even if people bash them behind closed doors, they'd be the, f- the first to buy it and then defend it. It's funny how that works, but... Yeah, and then uh, I guess another thing where if we have... A vehicle that's not a special version doing cues and taking things from other 
you know, the upper variant of that vehicle, you know, the more high line, the premium line of that vehicle, doing nicer factory wheels or, you know, doing a tasteful wheel upgrade and then doing um, coilovers and intake and exhaust to maybe a normal, you know, per se vehicle. Yeah, Corolla S with a set of, you know, uh, race lanes on it, a uh, nice exhaust. To me, that's appealing for, again, a starter car. Right. Seeking out, like how I was telling you, finding those manual versions of a normal car that aren't sporty or, you know, they were just like an economy car, and then doing the suspension work and doing an intake and exhaust and doing nice, nicer styling cues maybe, doing a lip and, I don't know, just different things that will make it a little bit more appealing to somebody that wouldn't maybe necessarily take a second look at it. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Not only that, you know, another thing I plan to do on our nicer cars, you know, cars that have really good paint on them. On my end, I know I intend, and it's going to be great for advertising, obviously we're going to detail our cars. You and I are probably two of the better detailers out there. Um, any there. that fucking Omni. <laughs> I mean, I'd even buy that. Yeah, I would do. I'd daily that. I wouldn't put it on the lot. No, no, that'd, that'd be, be mine. mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it's something I intend to do when I detail, and I plan to really use it as a hot button on advertising, because I plan to ceramic coat each nice car I have, right. so I can advertise it as two-year ceramic coating included. And, you know, the, the nicer cars like uh, the Miata or the Cayenne, yeah, you know, I intend to ceramic coat them so uh, they look really amazing when somebody comes to look at them. And I can say, hey, that thing's been ceramic coated, yada, yada, yada. It just makes it look like we care. Right. Probably the most normal car I'll ever have on the lot. And I'm about to drop the bomb diggity <laughs> shell that Nathan probably, well, no, I haven't talked to you about it. But uh, probably the most normal car I will ever have on the lot is my Mirage. And that's because next year, I do believe, and that Mirage actually still has warranty until 125,000 miles I can transfer to the next buyer. And the Mirage makes sense because I intend to put uh, coilovers under it here pretty soon. Yep. So my Mirage has custom front and rear sway bars, a custom intake... Um, it'll have uh, coilovers under it. Um, it's got some poly sway bar end links. I mean, it handles very good for what it is. Uh, next year, I, I have the full intention of practicing what I preach. Because right now, I have the RX-7. That is my sports car. And I intend to try very hard for myself, this is not going to be a car lot car, sorry guys, but I intend to seek out a Cayenne GTS with the six-speed manual, um, they only ever offered the GTS Cayenne as a manual, I mean, not all GTSs were, but you could only get a Cayenne with the manual in GTS trim, they're pretty rare, but I've seen them going around 12 to 13, I'm thinking about getting one for myself, so I myself have some to tell with talked about that for years. I have and I you know I need some with a little bit more space uh, with my kid 
So I do actually intend to put my Mirage on the lot. I have cared for the car very well. It has been ceramic coated twice. The underbody's been pour 15 very thoroughly. It's never going to rust. <laughs> right. Um, I know the Mirage has uh, had a lot of people follow it. So if anybody ever actually wanted to pull the trigger, uh, next year I'll come up with what's a fair price for it. Um, I've always had good-ass oil in it. It's got AMS oil. I just still have a CVT. It's got AMS oil in the CVT. I've always run AMS oil or Valvoline through it. Um, I have a fair price on it, but if somebody wanted it, I mean, you heard it here first, that it'd be impeccably detailed. Uh, it's got some it nice... It's very nice. It's like brand new. It is. I mean, I baby it. It's got carbon fiber canards. Uh, it's got uh, some, some trick drag diffusers in the back. Uh, does get a lot of attention. I've had people ask me about the canards and stuff at gas stations. Uh, it'd be a fun car that would be very affordable. And not only that, I've had approximately zero issues out of it. Um, it has had some issues with the Apple CarPlay that uh, CarMax will be fixing. And again, it'll have transferable warranty to 125000 It's got 62 on it right now. Makes somebody a great car. Uh, 50 miles of the gallon. And it sounds fantastic with the intake on it. I mean, it's not fast, but it does sound the part. It does so they, sound very good. It does. So, I mean, there you go. For anybody, uh, you know, in the market for something like that, uh, I am probably going to be coming off the Mirage next year and looking for a Cayenne. Uh, again, I have the RX-7, and I just purchased a second-gen DSM that has a very good build, built by Nathan. Um, you guys have heard us talk about a good friend of ours, Bruce. Uh, him and I struck a deal, so I will be acquiring his second-generation Eclipse. So, I mean, I'm going to have two really raunchy sports cars. Um, the idea of a Cayenne, the comfort of that air ride, and the Mirage is comfortable. For a, for a car that size, it goes down the road great. But I want to be able to haul my RX-7 to the track. I'd like to be able to haul, you know, my newly acquired here soon 2G to the drag strip. I'm going to need something like a Cayenne that can do it. So there you guys go. That will be a car to look for on the lot. And uh, hopefully uh, an enthusiast will buy it and keep up with what I started doing with it. Right. Um, another thing that I was thinking, too, on maybe um, something as a normal vehicle, but they're getting harder to find any, like, late 90s, early 2000s vehicles that, being in the Rust Belt, have all all but been, you know, scrapped out years ago, finding those 1G Neon two-doors, or, you know, like the Neon RTs, the ACRs, the second-gen yes. Neons, just second-gen Neons in general that don't have rust. I mean, They're great 1G, cars. 1G Neons in general that don't rust. Cavaliers that don't have rust. I mean, Sunfires, all those cars that you saw growing up, you know, if you're around our age or, you know, maybe they were out on the car lot new when you were in high school, where those things hardly exist anymore. Finding out those cars that are still very affordable, doing, you know, tasteful stuff, doing a, an exhaust to it, doing an intake, doing a, 
maybe not even coilovers, just doing like Eibach Pro, like a Pro kit with a decent set of, you know, stickier tires on the nice stock style wheels that were sporty, just doing different things that will appeal to somebody that wants something, you know, I guess at that point an entry level sportier vehicle or even to reminisce on a car maybe they had in high school or their parents had growing up, you know, it's, I guess, anything along those lines as well, because I just, in a way, all these vehicles that I like and I enjoy that I don't see anymore, I think those will appeal as well, because I think in, a, in an enthusiast market, my taste is probably sellable to a good oh, majority yeah. of enthusiasts. And I, I'm not trying to sound conceited, I'm just trying to say... You we, know, we do have that taste, we, though can appreciate multiple, uh, a plethora of different makes and models of these cars that were maybe unappreciated, but in a clean variation with tasteful mods can also appeal to other people. A 1G ACR RT would be tits on the lot, because the ACRs are super sought after. I think they're still quite cheap, but, um, I mean, it would look great out there, or the, like you said, the, the second gen um, RT with those factory basket weaves on it. Yep. That would be, that'd be great. I mean, I, I love those cars. And I'm also thinking in the aspect of not going too old of a vehicle. Not that I won't buy older, like the Daytonas and Omnis and stuff like that, but keeping it to a little bit newer, a little more, you know, reliable vehicle standpoint where maybe somebody that hasn't bought an enthusiast type vehicle or bought a sportier vehicle but wants to maybe venture that way but not fully they just want to you know a less expensive vehicle that is sportier and they're not willing to take that leap of faith to buy something more expensive especially these older vehicles aren't going to have some kind of warranty where we can offer that as well you know like something that maybe is a little bit more expensive to maintain say we cover it for the first 30 to 60 days if anything happens because obviously we're not going to know much about these cars buying them from auction or going to have the ability to drive every single one and see every last little bit go through them but just offer that little peace of mind to somebody who maybe is on the fence of getting something like that but still able to be a little bit newer a little bit nicer classier version of a normal vehicle and just offering them a way to have a, a different experience i wouldn't hesitate to put a uh, a turbo dsm out there and you know i i would put a uh i would keep I'd, it fairly stock Oh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mod it, but, I, I mean, I'd stick a, uh, you know, I'd stick a TSI out there yeah. or even a, uh, just a good old uh, RT Stealth or yeah. even a 3000 GTSL that was a non-turbo front driver. They still have a lot of appeal. Yeah. I always see them sell on Marketplace. Anytime They're beautiful. I see one, I enjoy see, even just being in the presence of one because you just don't see them anymore. 
Yeah, they could be had fairly affordably. Yeah. Uh, maybe that needs a, a T-belt service under it, or maybe even a broken T-belt needs some valves. We get it for nothing. Right. You don't do the work, put the valves in it. Buy it cheap enough. Throw a nice exhaust yeah, on it and exactly. be like, yeah, right, here you go. Do the tasteful additions that somebody may not be able to afford right off the bat, but still look appealing, even if you go source out a nice set of used wheels off of marketplace put new fresh tires on it buy that set of eibach or hr springs or you know just stuff that's not super expensive to do but it makes a big difference in the overall appeal of a vehicle to me anyways i mean i think any of those cars we just mentioned makes a lot of sense and Honestly, as time goes on, this is nothing remotely immediate, but down the road, because Nate and I are still fully intending to rally race, but down the road, a kind of a vision I had was, um, you know, once we're real established and, you know, hopefully it'd be a great problem to have that we're so busy, we just don't even know what to do with ourselves and we have the money rolling in. And as, you know, I go more and more to, like, mid-Ohio, kind of get to know the crowd, uh, something I would love to do is to buy, like, an E36 M3 that maybe has a real ratty interior, um, but has a good heart, you know, good engine, trans, diff, and I would, uh, you know, as a slow project, but at the same time, a very big potential for high turnover of profits because they sell for a lot of money, is to you know strip that E36M out, put a certified cage in it, um, do the actual spec mods to it, and sell it as a turnkey uh, spec M3 car. Get it a logbook. Get it a logbook, and you know those cars sell for thirty to fifty thousand, depending on you know the condition. A car that you may buy ratty for thirty-eight hundred bucks. Ideally, I'd like to be about under 14 to 15 in it. I mean, it's a way to, to very much double your money because, A, people don't have the time to get them set up, so they got to pay a shot. get a turnkey car. Exactly. Then go start racing for what's a relatively small investment. We could even, uh, you know, obviously just be like, hey, it's logged out. To have a shop build a car that's ready is very expensive, and Heck to buy can. one that's proven is expensive. If you go really out on the limb, you could make a package deal, offer the car with a trailer and an extra set of wheels for that price. Yeah, you know, we could buy an old trailer like we do, refurb it, and yeah. say, hey, you know, for this amount of money, we'll also throw the trailer in. And, uh, you know, it comes with the factory, either M contours and... Uh, you know, we can also throw in this set of, you know, Kozai wheels that are ready for, for race tires. And what's nice is that can be applied to any spectrum of vehicle that... Yeah, that Miata, yeah. spec Miata, turnkey spec Miata, or even in the rally, in the rally, you know, yeah. section, uh, here's a logbook, uh, you know, logbook WRX or logbook 2.5, and, you know, it's ready to go, yeah. it's, you can take it racing tomorrow it's legal exactly clearly and it's to not me, a, yeah that's not going to be our bread and right, butter exactly, but, it, but it allows you to do that once established and have a lot of fun with it right uh, cater really to the enthusiast right. and i mean in all honesty even though those are a little bit more time consuming um there is a lot of meat on the bone there for damn sure 
So to me, I think that would be fun to have those ones, you know, kind of in the corner. Oh, these are our race cars. They're lock-booked, they're turnkey. Here's what it takes to get into it. Buy those cars that have been decommissioned or people just kind of gave up on them that had been raced. Do the few things. Buy them cheap. You know, fix them up. Get them back into track condition and then send them on to the next the next owner for even not a huge profit. Just getting it back out into the motorsports community and you know, yeah, exactly. making a little bit while doing it. Yeah, it's kind of a vision I had was just being able to not only offer, hey, you know, here's your fun street enthusiast dailies you can have, but, you know, for the hardcore people, we want to cater to them eventually. Yep. And um, to me, that's a, that's a hell of a way to do you it. You can even get to a point where you show it to them on a track day. That's their... Oh, you know, yeah, their, I thought of that. You're, instead of them coming to just look at it, you actually take them show it to them, show them what it's about, and hopefully that experience is enough to sell it. If not, you enjoy a, a heck of a track day. Yeah, you can take it up to a track day and throw a prospective buyer in the passenger seat, take them for a lap, and tell them, hey, you know, you know what the car can do. If you want it, we can do the deal. And a lot of people actually do sell track cars in that manner, and to me, that would just be a fun little uh, extra thing we could do. So yep. then we have street cars, we have some dedicated race cars. I say even do it for even drag cars. Oh yeah, and set up cars, some. It'll work, you know, anything along those lines. You could set up a real nasty town as a uh, you know turnkey ten two car, and you know here's what you can get it for. And it's proven. It's got time slips. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of ways you could take it, but. Yep. That'd be a fun, I think, visionary thing down the road. And even then, you know, when we're buying some of these trucks, like these sport trucks, lower them down with some blocks or whatever. And, or even if you bought like a Toyota Tacoma, lift it three inches, put a set of 33s yep. under it. And, hey, you know, here's an overland truck. Yep. Because that's a very big market. And again, cover all the bases. Yeah, because that's a form of enthusiasm as well, yep. off-road the community. Juice sell huge when they're you know any kind of overland style they oh. sell great i wouldn't hesitate to buy an xj40 high output truck and you know lift then it three on the inches side, we can search out srt jeeps with the 61 or you yeah know, anything like that to offer a sporty suv put a pulley on it and exhaust yeah. and say oh here's your turnkey you know uh, almost 600 horsepower vehicle right i mean it just kind of appeals to the man. As our profits grow, we'll be able to step into more and more vehicles like that. I mean, you and I have discussed working into F10 535s, and I mean, if I'm honest, eventually I'd love to be able to have some E63 AMGs out there that are older. Um, for anybody listening, you know, they may have just cringed, head bolts, head bolts. Yeah, you're right. That's the whole point. Uh, you might buy one that has a history of no needing head bolts or has a lack of history <laughs> and we take and we do the stud conversion and those cars pull real good money then but they can be had for cheap and they're really reliable otherwise so maybe have you know work into having a, an amg out there maybe working on having an e46 m3 out there yeah 
really step the game up. Yep, continuously evolving and having multiples of these at a time, you know, that's that's ideal what we want. I wouldn't mind buying one of these, you know, I have seen them on Auto Tempest. I wouldn't mind buying one of those Bentley Continentals, you know, with the W8, not the 12, but yep. the W8 that's like 24, 25 grand that needs turbos. Right. Put turbos on it, maybe while you're in there, you know, maybe run down pipes. Yep. And, uh, you know, take this Bentley that we might now have 30 in and polish her all up, get her looking good, and set it out there for 42. Here's a Bentley. Let well, you, you talk know. it down a little. And yeah. I mean, even at that point, I mean, somebody might be calling me an idiot, but and it depends, too, on how valuable your time is, how much you're selling, how often you're selling. But even if you do pass a good deal on to somebody at thirty-five grand, you are still making five thousand dollars off I'm of saying. one vehicle. Yeah, I agree. It's even better if you can get the forty-two or forty out of it. But if you want to move it quick offer that enthusiasm you know offer somebody an awesome vehicle for an awesome price you still make money they get an awesome vehicle you can walk to the next project and it's all a, a big happy circle in my opinion that or you never know somebody might show up and really want that bentley and they might be pulling up in a uh you know uh, an sti or something right. and be like yeah, hey i tell you what any trade-ins i tell you what you know 34 in that sti you're walking out with this car right Bam. And I could tell you, nine out of ten people would definitely do that trade. Then, even if they are normal vehicles at that point, you know, you could. Yeah, take them in on. We very happily. Ooh, now, see, I, I'd fuck with yeah, one of those, too. too. Speaking of which, guys, we are coming up on our, our thing here. We're coming up on the uh, hard timer, so we will be right back in a minute. All right, guys, we're back. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of like we were saying just offering this wide plethora of vehicles something that's going to kind of appeal to everybody ironically we was driving as we had to go into um to this next part and nate spotted a suzuki kazashi which if uh you guys have no idea what it is because most people probably don't google it they're pretty sexy uh -huh. they can actually be had with this v6 all-wheel drive and a manual for some reason, you and I have always wanted one of these. And I would definitely put that on the car a lot if one came across. Because then we get to play with it, and we could sell it to somebody. And they look so damn good. That's just another example of one of those weird cars that would... I think would look great out there, and I think they could be had pretty affordably. Yeah, you can get them fairly at a decent price, especially... <coughs> They are a little bit newer, but they may not be quite as in demand at a dealer auction. But yet you could still be able to offer it as an enthusiast car because it has a six-speed manual, a V6, all-wheel drive, all-in-one package. That's a pretty nice-looking car. So that's a rarity to be able to have all of those things. And if you do your touches to it, find somebody that is you know has aftermarket support for it do an intake tune it you know if it's available if not develop the parts yeah make, make our own back make an intake for it all while enjoying you know this new platform learning it 
learning what sucks about it, learning what's good about it, you know, it's, I don't know, I think it's a really fun yeah, opportunity. It's a great experience, yeah. I know some other cool cars I think a lot of you guys listening at home will agree with, and I mean, some of them are more obvious than others, but car that I think kind of gets forgotten quite a bit and they can be had for pretty much nothing right now Volkswagen made a car called the Phaeton yep. and it was actually built on the Bentley Continental chassis and they actually share so many parts and that's why Continental guys use Phaeton parts because they're actually cheaper even though they're the same part um, they had a non-turbo version of that W8 or 12 engine and the thing was so damn ahead of its time, the vents automatically closed themselves, <laughs> like, electronically. But they're starting to kind of resurge a little bit. So I think a Phaeton would look pretty cool out there. Yep. Because um, then you're reaching to a... Real luxury yeah, car audience. A, a luxury, but you're still... that. To me, that kind of, to a point, says enthusiast... Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely an enthusiast car. It's just a basically a reskinned Bentley. Right. And somebody like Bruce would really appreciate a car like that. Anything like those. That, even the older, early 2000s Mercedes that are smaller, that are, you know, sporty looking, but yet still kind of C230 luxury. sedan yeah. with the supercharged engine. Um, Any the, of the compressors. Yeah, that, that, exactly. You... you the C uh, the C230 compressor was such a unique car with the sport package. They even came with drilled rotor stock. I mean, that's cool. Yep. And uh, of course, those could be had with a six-speed manual. They're not easy to find, but um, there is a demand for those cars. The Mini Cooper S, a car that people always forget about, but there's not a single person out there, auto journalist enthusiast that have driven them and talk shit about them. They drive amazing. They're like little go-karts, and they actually rip. A Mini Cooper S, I'd have that on the lot oh, yeah, in two-tenths of a second. Yep. Um, another cool vehicle that comes to mind as well, and a lot of people don't know it exists, um, Nissan actually offered a Xterra Nismo that was supercharged. Yeah. So you can get the supercharged Xterra, and those are really well known in the off-road community. Uh, the Xterras are huge into that. Uh, they were actually quite quick with that uh, with the blower on them. Um, if one of those came up at auction, I'd buy it. Supercharged Xterra would be a lot of fun, and it's a hell of a tow pick. Yep. Yeah, any of those. I mean, I'm I'm not willing to turn away many vehicles that are the cool version yeah of within it. those variations yeah i mean it can be a normal you know run-of-the-mill car but if it's a you know that little bit higher end model of it it's got a spot in my heart really you know i i feel that we have that ability to look at a car even though it may not be appealing to the majority of people but we can look at what can we add to this vehicle you know, what tasteful things can we do to this to make it appealing? Not what would I do to this vehicle if I was to... If this was my one car that I was owning, what could I do to it to make it stand out and be a little bit different? Or, you know, 
not even necessarily stand out, but just set it apart from other vehicles, tasteful stuff. Enthusiasts recognize these vehicles anyway, and you know, we are good for people that might ask a question like, what makes this special? And that's where you and I are really good at selling stuff, because we are the kind of guys who would have, you know, a turbo Hyundai Veloster parked next to a Harley Davidson F-150 parked next to a Miata. Right. And we could tell you why all three of those cars are fantastic. Yep. I wouldn't turn away an HD uh, F-150 in a second. Those had the lightning engine in them, most of them, the supercharged one, and oh, they were kind of cool. I know my dad always lusted after them, and that has a wide appeal, and a lot of times they can be had affordably. Right. May have to put a bed or something on it, who cares? And if we can get these vehicles at a decent price... SRT 10 Ram, same shit. Market them at the same value of a normal vehicle that would appeal and get it sold even faster to somebody that might be looking for just a basic vehicle but they can see they see this nice special version of it for the same price or you know maybe just a little bit more and go that route instead i couldn't agree more man i definitely think we have the right idea i just know how picky i am when i car shop Oh, yeah. We, we, we don't set out to buy a fucking a Miata and come home in an Impala. Right. We are not that buyer. However, if I set out to buy a Miata, but yet there's this 350Z on the lot, yep. I'm going to look at that. And if there's this Subaru on the lot, I'm going to definitely gander them out and I'm going to compare between them. But I'm definitely not going to go there and look at a regular beige Camry with an automatic in it no. on hubcaps. I'm not going to deviate that far because I am an enthusiast. I I know what I want to a point. I don't. I may not know exactly what vehicle I want, but I know what genre I'm shopping. If you have that much variety, you have that many options, and that's a good thing. Yep. I mean, look at me. I mean, a well, you and I are both prime examples. You set out to buy a Focus RS, and you bought a Scat Pack Challenger. Right. I just recently set out to buy an Audi TT225, and I bought a 2G DSM. Yep. All because the opportunity was there. It was in my face, and I mean... But you didn't deviate no. from... We both bought enthusiast right, vehicles. exactly. You had a Scat Pack, you know, again, you went to buy an RS, and you bought a Scat. I mean... We are not the only people who do that. That cross-shopping happens way more than people recognize. Yep. I mean... My stepdad is a great example when he, uh... He set out... My mom really wanted a Camaro, so of course, you know, the wife always wins this <laughs> one, but... He actually originally set out to go look at some Mercedeses, and he looked at a Subaru ultimately ended up the Camaro, but he didn't deviate from an enthusiast choice. He still ended up with an enthusiast car. Right. But he knew what he was looking for when he went out shopping, and he's not, and admittedly, he'd tell you this, he's not a fifth as, you know, enthusiastic or knowledgeable right. as we I are. Right, consider him more He's classy. a casual yeah. enthusiast. Yeah, he's, exactly. But yeah, he does have good taste, but... 
then he rode Nate's scat pack and immediately said, I need one of these. And he's been talking about it ever since. So people like that that aren't even as crazy as we are, they have an idea of what they want. Ironically, the last time I seen him, he had a brochure to a C8 and was asking me about it. Talking about maybe buying a C8. Sometimes it just takes that right vehicle being sitting there, even though they may, may not have wanted that vehicle... If they see that and they want that, or, you know, they, it starts their wheels turning just because of proximity, then that's a win-win anyways. I mean, a great anecdote there is uh, back when I had my Red 90 TSI. Um, I sold that car, and the whole intention of me selling it, number one, I was scared because the transmission started getting notchy, and I was an idiot, but I actually sold it to go buy an E36, I knew I wanted an E36 328 IS Coupe. But me, I am very fucking erratic in my buying habits. And it was two days later after selling that car, Dad and I were driving through Tiffin, Ohio, and there was a Turbo Coupe Thunderbird right off River Road, backed in with a for sale sign on it. I stopped. I seen the guy was asking uh, 1500 bucks for it, and he told me there was a fuel leak, he didn't know where it was coming from, and it could use tie rods. I walked away with that car for a grand. So I set out to buy an E36. I was dead set on it, and instead I ended up buying that turbo coupe I had for a long time. Yep. Put a fuel filter on it, stopped the leak, I had tie rods put on it, new power steering pump. Yeah, you were there at AutoZone that day. I dropped two grand in maintenance items, and I never regretted it. I love that car. But it wasn't what I set out to buy. The whole, you know, full circle point of the story is the opportunity was there, and I uh, I took it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you may not know that you're looking for something until it presents itself to you, so. I didn't know I was starving till I tasted it. Yep. I drove it and I fell in love with it because it drove so nice. It had that land yacht ride to it, but it still handled pretty good and it made cool noises. Yeah, it had a turbo four banger in it. I loved it. I loved it. I really love that car to pieces. Still one of my favorite cars I've ever bought. Most people would say, you know, selling a a well modded talent for a, a Thunderbird's a downgrade. Uh, I don't think so. It was just a change of direction. It was, and I, I love that change. It was nice. It was the rear-wheel driveness of it. It taught me a lot about dynamics of cars. Um, I had a blast with it, but it was just one of those things that I never would have predicted it. And my dad even said the same thing. He's like, I never would have predicted you own a Thunderbird, and I, I love that car every day. I put a lot of miles on it and had a lot of fun with it. Yep. Just because it was an enthusiast version of an otherwise mundane car. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I mean, seeing where this could potentially go. I mean, I hope that it goes there, reaches that point. But it's a, in my opinion, I feel that it's a good business model. Obviously, learning the ins and outs of the industry, running the lot, running, you know, the behind the scenes stuff is going to be work, obviously, but 
it's being fun an auto work. enthusiast, yeah, you're going to be searching out these vehicles. Um, I watched a guy on YouTube that runs a small car a lot. He actually says he may go research 25, 30 cars at one auction that he's potentially wanting to buy and then not even buy any of those but come home with five different ones totally just because of proximity. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's the... all... <clears throat> I. It, it sounds like a lot of fun. It's always going to be something different. It's always going to be... I don't know. It's just... That was a Tuscan, by the way. That was sick. Yeah, that's... I would enjoy one of those, having one of those on the lot, learn about it, drive it, sell it. Um, but yeah, it's just... It's that unknown, and it's kind of yeah. that, uh, that... What, it's kind of a thrill, a little bit of a thrill. What's the word I'm looking for here? It's the, um... It's just the uncertainty and the excitement of that. Just never know what you might see. Showing right. up to an auto auction... Uh, I used to do the Odessa auctions uh, back when I was in high school when I lived in Tennessee briefly back then. I used to actually work for a car lot. Uh, I was a... Me and my brother worked on these cars and we also helped influence purchases. And I remember one time uh, I convinced the person I work for to buy a 90... Uh, I believe it was a 91 Cadillac STS and the whole reason I did... It was at an Endesa auction. She got this car for $600, and it was straight. Uh, in the glove box, there were papers to a Jasper rebuild engine, and it did. It had a Jasper rebuild engine on it. And uh, there was nothing I needed to fix on it. Uh, aside from I convinced her to put four new tires on it, and she sold that car for four grand. Yeah. And I drove, and it was actually, I will think, a rip. <laughs> it was an SDS. Yeah. I convinced her to buy an STS, and uh, my brother, Dan, um, if he's listening, he'll laugh. He convinced her to buy this old, it was a, uh, I believe it was called the FX5, but it was like an 89 hatchback front wheel, five-speed Corolla. Yeah. She got that for $400. Uh, we did a valve cover gasket on it, and she ended up selling that for $2,300. Yep. And that right there is what I mean. And the whole reason we influenced her to buy those, they were enthusiast vehicles. Cadillac STS is an enthusiast vehicle. It's the good version of an otherwise right. boring car. Exactly. That uh, Corolla is an enthusiast car. It was the FX5. And yeah, they sold within a week. And then eventually I convinced her to buy an Audi 100 that was there. Um, it was actually a Quattro with the the uh, V6, nice. and it was a manual, and um, there wasn't really nothing wrong with that other than the oil pan leaked, and it was slow enough to where we just told the prospective customer, we had 700 bucks wrapped up in it, she got three grand out of that and did nothing, huh. all because it was a black Audi, it looked great, somebody showed up and said, I want that. Again, it's just all about having the eye for this kind of car. Right. And when they showed up and, you know, asked what it was, I did most of the wheeling and dealing on it. I'm like, oh, it's an all-wheel drive Audi with a manual. It's a really fun car. And that's all anybody really needed to hear. Yep. 
that's hopefully the same business model that will work for us as well. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were doing, you know, when uh, the whole reason I hooked up with her, you know, doing that is because I bought that Audi 90 off her, that real white one I had. Yep. And she started telling me she was struggling to buy, you know, to sell cars. She was bleeding money, and I'm like, that's because you have the wrong cars. Yep. Why do you think I didn't buy anything else here? I bought this Audi. I'm like, uh, I can help you with this. And me and my brother boosted her her income tremendously by just knowing what people want. Right. And we really did. She's still in business today, actually. And she started buying. She has never stopped buying those kind of cars. I went and bought that Focus off her. Yeah. All because it was a five-speed sedan Focus. Right. It's kind of yeah, rare. It's not anything spectacularly special, but that manual transmission is appealing to an enthusiast. That's what sold it to me, and she was even honest. She told me she paid 500 bucks, and I handed her two grand for it because it was mint. Yep. It was completely mint. And I didn't care that I just quadrupled her profit because she had a good car. Right. And you still get to have fun. You still get to save gas, and it's still something that could be potentially modified and made to yeah. something that you want made it different from all the other ones. I mean, I loved that car when I had it. Uh, went to my brother and he drove it for a long time too. I mean, that's just a great example of an otherwise if had it been an automatic, I wouldn't have given a fuck about that car. I wouldn't even look twice. Right. I looked in it to see what trains it had. I seen it was a manual and I stopped my search. I walked in and said, I'll take that one. That's all it was. I walked in and handed her money, and that was game over. Yep. I needed a good car back then. I was back when I was hauling boats. She offered a commodity, and that car never failed me. Yeah, because at that point, you still were looking for just a commuter vehicle, but... Your it had to be kind of fun. Yeah, your inner enthusiast still wanted at least a manual transmission to enjoy a little bit of your drive. Yeah, it was between that and she had a uh, an older Mercedes S420 I was real big on, but it was using, it was burning a little bit of oil. She was honest about it. She said, a friend told me it might need rings. I agreed with that assessment. It smoked a little bit under Excel, but I was still thinking about buying it. But then as soon as I seen a five-speed Focus, I said, I'll just play it safe. Cheap and easy parts. Hey, there's a Prowler. Ooh, Plymouth Prowler. That had an exhaust on it. Yeah. See that? Dude, that's cool. <laughs> you don't see a lot of Plymouth Prowlers. No. I bet it's been years since I've seen one. Man, that's another prime example of an awesome car that, you know, if a great deal came up, I wouldn't pass that up. Mm -hmm. Prowlers are bitching. F30, uh, F31 Touring. Yeah, F31. Yeah, that's kind of our idea. I and mean, that's another example. It's not anything spectacular. It probably was an automatic, but it was a wagon. So that oh cool. yeah, I'd buy any Audi Avant. I yep. don't care what it is. If it's an A4 Avant, if it's an old Audi 100 Avant, if it's a 200 Avant, especially, fuck yeah, I'm doing the Audi Avants all day. Yep. Uh, the BMW E46 Touring, the really rare kind of cool E39 Touring. I wouldn't hesitate to have that sitting outside. I guess out of any um, newer AMG, 
the wagons the are wagons by far retain, the most rare. Yeah, they retain the most value. Their they initial do. value, anyways. Well, even then, AMGs lose value like amateur art. Right. But the wagons don't. The wagons actually retain pretty damn good. For example, an E30, uh, E63 AMG sedan, some of those can be had in the high teens. Right. But a good shape wagon that has had the head bolts done, um, them are selling uh, mid to high 30s. Right. So if you, you never know. A lot of these people don't know that. So you see an E63 come through that needs the head bolts done. It's a wagon. You can get that car for under twenty grand, and you have the money. You buy it. Right. You do the headstock conversion, and uh, you throw it out there. Even at you know thirty-one, thirty-two, you're offering somebody a hell of a deal on one of the most rare cars out there. Yep. It's a huge. I mean, like you say, uncertainty, but it's such a huge. I don't know. It's a it's a big ocean. There's a lot of fish out there. It's how you get there. How you I don't know. Like even that Mercedes back there is a little bit newer. Looked like it wasn't anything special. They could be quite affordable. Right. And it's appealing. Right. Exactly. It's an entry level luxury sports sedan. You know, it even looked like a Grand Coupe almost. It's almost like writing about cars. Lots of people try it. They never succeed, and then they say, oh, you know, it just can't be done. And a lot of people say that about car lots. There's just not enough meat on the bone. Somebody once told me, a well-known journalist, and I will I will not drop the name, somebody once told me, you'll never make it writing. Nobody ever does unless you just know somebody sure enough I've been published multiple times through major publications that day I published that first article about the Focus RS I just laughed because there might be a million ways to skin a cat and people never figure out to do it right car lots no different writing about cars I got told so many times you'll never get published well just because you didn't don't mean I won't because I won't stop till I do and I didn't. It took five years, but I got there. You gotta know where in in a car lot aspect. You gotta know who you're. Yeah, I guess it coincides with the writing too. You gotta know who your audience is. You gotta know. You gotta cater to that yeah, audience. Exactly. You gotta know who's buying. You gotta know where to advertise. You gotta know how to get your vehicles into the sight of your buyers, and then you know it. Theoretically, if your prices aren't absolutely astronomical and you're willing to bargain with somebody and, you know, try and actually work Ooh, with them. M3. M3 convertible, yeah. For sale. <clears throat> so, I mean, if you can do that, there shouldn't be a reason why you can't make the money. You know, the guy, even at the class that you have to take now to be a dealer in Ohio, he even said that literally the state of Ohio, if you can do this and you can get your dealer license, they're literally giving you a license to make as much money as you possibly can. And it's true if you know what you're doing. I mean, at the end of the day, 
Any form of sales is all about reading the room and advertising correctly. Do you think Snap-on Tools is advertising, running print ads in Cosmo Magazine? Fuck no. They're running makeup ads because women read it, right? So it's no different. If you're selling these enthusiast-focused cars, are you going to run, you know, basic ads in a newspaper? No. What you're going to do is you're going to go to Facebook Marketplace, you're going to put them on Auto Tempest, and then you're going to join the pages of which exists for these cars, and you're going to put them there. If you don't know how to target an audience, you won't make it. Right. And it's no different than writing about cars. We, if you don't know how to market it, you're never going to make it. Right. And we're enthusiasts on our own end. We appreciate these vehicles, or even if we haven't had them, we do our research to learn about them. Oh, to yeah. See what the ins and outs of them are. Join these pages, join these groups. Then you are much more likely to cross sell between these groups, even because then once you have people buying or even seeing your advertisements, they're going to follow you. Yeah. Then word of mouth, you know, between these groups at least, will be able to maybe bring you return customers, new customers. So. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, for I know me, I'm a part of over 25 forums already just based off what I've owned. I'm joining forums wanting to learn before I ever owned my first Maserati. You know, I was a lurker in a forum for a long time just to learn. So I already have a relationship with a lot of these guys, much the way that you do. And Believe it or not, that goes a real long way. If people already kind of know your name, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to, and this is one of those deals I know exist, because uh, I've seen them. I, I'm, a, I'm really big in the Maserati uh, community. I've been a member for a long time, and uh, I love that community. There's a lot of guys selling cars like uh, Spider Cambio Corsas, which uh, range from about uh, 1997 to about 2005. Uh, most of those had the F1 gearbox in them. Uh, some could be held the six-speed, but those things were known to eat through clutches. So a lot of times in these pages, you'll see guys, uh, you know, Needs an F1 gearbox clutch, otherwise strong car, seven grand. I know that people have found out you can actually easily modify an E46 M3 clutch uh, to work in that F1 gearbox and it extends the life three times and you can get an E46 M3 Saks clutch kit for about 500 bucks. Now, you know, even if you had to do other work, let's say you have 9500 bucks in it, that's a $18,000 car all day. And do you think just because it says Maserati, it's going to scare us from doing it? No. I wrench my Maserati all the time, and uh, it, it's no different than any other car. You just have to have specialty tools. We have them. Yep. So I wouldn't hesitate to, uh, to do that deal on my end and put a clutch in it and throw it out there and go right to the Maserati groups I'm in. Fresh, fresh clutch, come drive it, you know. Uh, you know, great car, has this service history. And I can tell you right now, those cars sell within days, not weeks, days. That's a big, 
there's a big community for cars like that. Yep. And to me, so many people that run these car lots wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot stick because they employ technicians that have no balls. And I mean, that's something I will... We're very, we're very humble, but that's something I will toot on one horn. You could drop us a Ferrari and say, I need a timing belt. We will figure out how to do it. Exactly. We're not going to say no. And that makes it very, it makes a lot of sense to do a car a lot that way. I agree. Nobody, who else is doing it? Right. You're taking on all of this. You know exactly what's going into these cars that you're selling anyways. You know, to a point, obviously, if they already run and drive, but if you know you're doing work to them, if you're willing to put in the work, willing to pay for the tools to do the work, then, you know, you don't really have any overhead in that aspect other than buying the additional tools and the parts. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what's one thing almost every car lot, every car lot I can think of has one thing in common. They employ a mechanic on site. Then they have to pay that mechanic's wages. So a lot of people say car lots have all this overhead, and they do. Because you got to pay a mechanic. You might have to pay a salesman. Then you got to pay for your lights, yada, yada, yada. And guess what? The salesman, you're listening to them right now. The mechanics, us, we don't have to pay those people because we've sold cars forever, and we've wrenched them even longer. And I think that's a big thing we can pride ourselves in because when they ask, you know, who did the service? Us. And that's not to say that we wouldn't want to grow it big enough to have to employ somebody. That's just going to be, I think, the ticket starting out. We're going to be able to buy these cars that need the work, pass on the better deals, grow the company that way, and then hopefully get to the point where have too many cars and we have to have more than just us friends together renting oh, these yeah. cars. But even then though, starting out, I mean, that's just a big thing for us. And, you know, using that last example, when's the last time you've went to a car lot that wasn't a franchise dealership and you found a Maserati on the lot or, you, you know, you've seen some of these cars we're discussing? won't because most of these mechanics they employ say I can't wrench that shit right and not only that how many people how many times do you go to a car lot buy a car and the salesperson that you're talking to knows any mechanical aspect other than what is you know out there on the internet you know quickly accessible that's the quickest way to turn me off too honestly going to buy a car and the salesman doesn't know about the car I can tell you now, that'll turn me cold real fast. Like, uh, I mean, great example. I'll throw out a prime example of why I think that is a problem. Um, When I went out and I, when I bought my M3 many years back, um, I went and looked at a bunch of of different vehicles and I was actually asking about this RS4 at the time. The salesman didn't know anything about it. And when I say nothing, I mean he didn't know what transmission was in it, anything. He didn't know jack shit. To me, that is a massive turnoff. 
But then, uh, you know, when I went to look at the Sim 3, the salesman could have literally told you anything you wanted to know. He was a, he actually used to race NASA, he informed me. He could quote the horsepower, he knew the displacement, and uh, he could explain to me in detail how a double clutch transmission worked, because back then I didn't know. Right. He informed me how it worked. To me, that's buying the salesman. Because if he didn't know, oh, you know, it, it, if he called it an automatic, I'd have been done. Right. But he didn't. He called it a automated manual, and here's how it works. And I can appreciate that. If you're showing up to buy this Maserati, uh, you know, Coupe Cambio Corsa, and you're asking me about it, I can tell you I will be informed. If you say, oh, you know, what engine's in that? You know, I don't know much about these, but I'm interested. I can tell you it's a Ferrari derived 4.2 liter, and it makes, uh, you know, 385 horsepower. And if you explain, you know, ask, well, is that an automatic? No, it's an automated manual. It actually is a manual, but it has a hydraulically actuated clutch. Here's why it's awesome. And to me, that's going to make that person much more comfortable right. than me just saying, oh, it's Miles Rowdy with a great engine. By the way, here's why it's going to be a little jerky in town. Here's how to stop it. <laughs> right. Instead, you can inform them. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, well, I trust this. He sounds informed. I mean, I know you can agree. If you show up yeah, to absolutely. buy a car and know, and they don't know what they're talking about, man, that makes me stone cold. Yeah, because, I mean, too, and that's going to be, I'm going to pride, and I know both of us are going to pride ourselves on knowing the ins and outs of these vehicles, because if I have something, I own something, I have to know everything that I can possibly learn about them. So it's going to be easier for, you know, either of us to do that. And I think it's just a, an extra bit of quality that we can add to, you know, the, the buying experience for the, you know, the enthusiast, hopefully, that we are, you know, have drawn into come buy something at least. I mean, I agree. I mean, what if we had an RXA parked out there? Yeah, I would be able to tell them absolutely everything. Right. I mean, if you showed up to a car a lot and you asked, well, aren't these unreliable? And, and that guy just says, I don't know. Right. Are you really going to feel comfortable buying it? Versus if they see an RX-8 at our lot and they say, aren't these unreliable? And we can rebuttal with, yeah, in stock form, here's why. And here's what we've done to alleviate those problems. Right. And if they ask, well, I'm interested, but how does the rotary work? bam right then and there we can explain in very awesome detail how it works and now they're more comfortable with the prospect of owning it and we can even tell them how to care for it and to me that is the difference you show up to most mom and pop car lots they might just happen to have an rx8 out there you ask them it'd be funny you know but go up and ask how many cylinders that car have is that a four cylinder chances are they're gonna say yep and to me, right away, I'm going to laugh and be like, I'm out. Yeah. Because that tells me you haven't cared for it either. That, and it's probably going to be extremely overpriced. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Versus us, somebody tries to pull that shit on us, which is understandable. Right. Becca uh, has no cylinders. What do you want to know about it? <laughs> I, that's something you and I can definitely pride ourselves on our... 
product knowledge is everything. And you should take pride in your inventory. You should know about it. You should intimately know how it drives. That way if somebody asks to drive it or they ask how it is, you can tell them, this car is fantastic because of this. Or if they walk in and they see the 350Z, they see the E90, and they see the uh, Miata. That was pretty dope. Yeah, it was. A little BRZ or FRS all stands, like, slammed down. Looked like it had a wide body on yeah, it. it was wide body and had a big old, uh, like, an arrow kit on it. That was pretty sick. Spoiler. But, yeah, if somebody asked, you know, uh, you know, what car should I buy? I'm looking for a car that does this. We can point them in the, even if it's not the more expensive car, that's not what it's about. It's about fitting what they want. Right. Do you uh, know how to get to 70 from here? I just gotta keep going until it hits 70. Uh, does 70 connect on onto I'm this? pretty sure, yeah. Okay. It's parallel to 40. But yeah, I mean, I, that, that's where I definitely think we have a leg up. I just seen there was four back there. You could have hit four, took yeah. that through, and done it. We'll figure it out. But, yeah, we kind of just wanted to tell everybody the news. It is exciting that the car lot uh, was approved. Oh, you're right, right here. We're going to want to take that towards Columbus. Yeah. Um, for you, we're gonna hit 675. We gotta go west, though. No, no, if we go west, that's gonna take us 75 towards Inglewood. Let me see. I run that every night. West won't connect us to 675, only east. It's exit 44. The exits count down if you go gotcha. west. Yeah, 675 is in Fairborn, we have to go east. Exit 44 AB. That's 70 West. That must be putting you on 75 then. That's what I thought we were doing. Going 75. Uh, I would have took 675 personally. It's closer. 675 is only about 5 miles up the road. 75 is going to be about 25. Yeah, we'll figure it out either way. It's got us pointing in the right direction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, car lot, that's huge. Uh, that's definitely huge news there. What trailer? Oh. <laughs> yeah, Nate's truck uh, gives some funny warnings about uh, checking lanes when you're making sharp turns with a trailer. Uh, it just says left lamp. Is that connecting us 675? Yep. Okay. Yeah, because I thought about it for a second. You can hit 675 west, but you could also hit it east. Yep. That's the way that we're headed. Taking this car back home. Another successful job done with all the rust repair. It was actually, I mean, it's the first time I ever got to partake in doing rust repair. It was kind of fun in, in a way, honestly. Using the plasma cutter is a blast. Yeah, it always makes life much easier for doing precision patch panels when you're when you 
have an exact shape and it's not exactly easy to do with just a straight cutoff wheel. It makes it nice to just cut it right out. When we say precision patch panels, if anybody's wondering how that's done, it's kind of funny because it was new to me too. I got to learn. Um, you actually, uh, what we did is we had the carpet pulled back inside and uh, just take a piece of cardboard from the bottom of the hole you have and you uh, take a permanent marker, trace it from the top, you cut it out with scissors, you mock fit your uh, cardboard template, put it on your metal, trace it on, cut it out with a plasma cutter and you literally have a precision patch panel. So by precision we mean cardboard measured <laughs> and it actually works really nice. kind of weld into place and uh you shape it using uh, as nathan said now i kind of fucked with him last night he's like i gotta shape this panel i'm like all right you busting out the english wheel and he holds up his hammer and says i have the english nathan <laughs> so from here on out the uh, ball peen is known as the english nathan so that, that's kind of what you do you tack it into place you see how it needs to bend and you do it with a uh, english nathan then once it's uh, bent the way you need it, you just weld it in place. It's a, it's a hell of a learning curve, but he's done it many times. And now I, I feel a little better about cars that have some rust on them. I mean, it, it's not that it's necessarily real hard work, it's just time consuming. It definitely does take time. But all in all, uh, we've done that. We've gotten a, a lot of stuff done in the last few weeks. Yeah, hopefully we'll get caught up enough to where we're to the point where we only have to worry about car lot vehicles and our own vehicles. Yeah, I uh, still got an RX-7 to get finished, and now I got a uh, head gasket to do on a recently acquired Eclipse. And on that one, that car runs a Force Performance Red Turbo, and I intend to swap that out to a uh, FP Black Turbo. Oh, I see why it put us west. We were already farther down than I thought we was. Ha okay, that's right. We were up around the 51. For some reason, I thought we was coming out the 37. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm an idiot. Springfield's in the 50s. So yeah, we are looking for exit 44. I was right. I was wrong on my directions. Everybody, I only live here. What do I know? I'm an idiot. I lost my sense of direction. Day yeah, east. I was thinking about leaving Dayton. If you're leaving Dayton, you gotta go east. Right. Yeah, we gotta go ways west. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, it's exit 44. I know that. But, yeah, we've been doing that. Um, yeah, I planned to swap a turbo out on this 2G. That car was already logging uh, high 600s, and yep. I'd really like to get into the 800s. So, you guys heard us talking a couple weeks ago about what a uh, 800 horsepower DSM, you know, feels like. And uh, I know I want a taste of that because that is probably the best drug you'll ever take in your life so that's exciting now 
I guess that's most of our updates and uh, yeah, coming up on the 45 minute mark, we're going to get on 675. Yeah, got to do a little bit of navigating now. Yeah, now we got to... Yeah, because I don't remember the exit for Kettering, but uh, off of 675. But guys, uh, we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna cut her there. Get this uh, Geo back where she belongs. So thanks for tuning in. We're, we're excited to tell everybody about the car a lot. Uh, about next time we'll be in full swing. Yeah, talking about our first inventory. Some of these cars we talked about, plan to see us having them and. Um, once we get the, the portion of the website launched, we'll come up and we'll tell you. Oh, hell yes. But with that being said, this is Matt. This is Nathan. Reminding you to modify, maintain, and drive your shit. Until next time. Take it easy, everybody.